Don't want to work forever? Once you can cover your living expenses with passive income, your day job becomes optional and you reach financial independence. You then have complete control over your time, your money, and your life in general. Spark Rental founders Denny Suplee and Brian Davis, me, are here to help you build rental income, ditch your day job, and do what matters most to you. So on that note, let's jump into today's episode, which, like all of our episodes, was recorded live. Hi, everyone. Brian Davis and Denny Suplee here with you from Spark Rental. Welcome, everyone. Um, Last week, we talked about seven signs that you're financially stable and three that you aren't. Hope everybody had a chance to go over that and maybe uh, decide to make some changes so that you're in the better list. (laughs) (laughs) And what are we discussing today, Brian? So this week, we're talking about the possibility of an eviction crisis looming on the horizon, which, you know, there's been a lot of press about that. We're going to dive into some of the data to see, you know, is this actually a looming problem? And if so, how much of a problem is it? So as you guys join us, let us know where you're tuning in from. We always love to, to hear that stuff and get some, some questions and participation from you guys. We have started releasing this as a weekly podcast, but unlike your typical podcast, we do not record this in a studio and have it all polished and perfect and edited just so before we release it, we do broadcast these lives live <laughs> because uh, we, we want to have this interactive, have this be about you guys just as much as it is about us. And, you know, we're willing to sacrifice the, <laughs> the perfect polish on that. So on that note, Denny, let's start by just walking through the latest CDC ban on evictions that was announced through the end of 2020. They just announced this a week or two back. So who does this apply to? You know, what are the details? You know, walk us through this ban on evictions by the CDC. First of all, the fact that the CDC is even getting involved in this is is a bit odd, to say the (laughs) the least. Um, But it is for um, renters that are no more than 99,000, so under 100,000. And... um, for single renters. For single, oh yeah, yeah. But for the total for joint, no more than um, 198. Um, the difference in this than the other one, the other bands that we're in, were um, those didn't require as much um, proof, <laughs> for lack of a better word, that COVID was affecting you in a whole. So a lot of people were getting away with it, even if you know. There was, you know, whatever. They just didn't feel like working or whatever. Um, where this, there is, and and Brian, we were just talking about this. It's left up to the states to decide how they're going to enforce this. But there are definitive enforcement rules in place that you have to show that you are impacted by COVID, that you um, are trying to do everything you can to get housing assistance, um, and that if you were to be evicted, you would be on the street and homeless. So this is not as easy as just getting, you know, any of the other assistances or, or, or whatnot. So to recap, single people can earn no more than $99,000 in order to qualify for this protection. Married couples filing jointly 
can earn no more than $198,000 to qualify for this eviction ban protection. Uh, Denny, if you can walk us through, there are, there are a couple requirements here. Uh, there are four main requirements that tenants have to meet in order to qualify for this. Uh, just walk us really quickly through each one of these four requirements. Again, you have to make sure that you have done everything you can to apply for any available government assistance or housing programs. You also need to make sure that you can't pay the rent um, and that there is, you have to show that you, your household income has significantly dropped, that you are at a loss for hours or wages, you're at laid off or you have an extraordinary amount of medical expenses, most likely due to COVID. Um, you're doing the best that you can to work with your landlords to make whatever payments that you can. Um, and that if you are evicted, it would leave you homeless. So that's very gray area, but if you have somebody else you can move in with or something like that, um, that that would void this out. Yeah, and it's, it's hard for landlords to be able to, to disprove any of these things, right? I mean, so what tenants, so tenants, they go online and they download, there's an affidavit that they download from the CDC and they, they fill out this affidavit, you know, stating each of these items and, you know, swearing to it by signing this affidavit. Um, now it's left up to the states, you know, whether, landlords can request documentation from the tenants to try to verify these statements um, to make sure that the tenant actually has these hardships and, and qualifies for the protection. So, you know, like everything else in landlord-tenant law in the U.S., this very much comes down to your state uh, and sometimes even your city and how landlord or tenant-friendly the laws are there. So, Not to mention, eventually, things are going to come into play if two tenants aren't treated the same. So then we have that fair housing stuff that could enter into this. So it should be interesting to see how the states handle this. But yeah, you're going to have to go to your states and make sure that you're um, checking to see exactly what proof you are allowed to, to get and document. Also, this doesn't have anything to do with any other type of eviction. So if you have somebody that is um, conducting illegal activity, causing a noise or a nuisance or destroying your property, that doesn't fly on this. This is just people that are affected by um, loss of employment or wages by, because of COVID. Right. So this only affects eviction for non-payment of rent, doesn't affect eviction for other lease violations. Uh, and it's worth pointing out that this this eviction ban does not relieve the tenant of the obligation to pay their rent. The tenant still owes the rent and they still rack up late fees and you know all of the rest of it, but the landlord just can't enforce it. They just can't evict them yet. So come January, back rents and late fees will still be enforceable and due to the landlord, you know, barring you know, future <laughs> changes on this, which are very possible. I mean, the rules keep changing throughout 2020. Right. It's true. So. And then who knows what other organization will pop in here and 
have their own say in this. So, right. <laughs> and the, the right. sad thing is that um, while your tenants are accumulating this rent, and, and it's very nice that they're saying that the tenants still owe the rent, but the likelihood is that it's very hard for a renter to catch up when they're that, that behind. Now, it's worth mentioning here that tenants are not as far behind on rents as you might expect. And there, we do have some data here to walk through. So at first glance, the numbers are not pretty, but you dive a little deeper into these and they're actually not as bad as you might expect. So here's the latest figures. So 32% of renters across the country failed to make a full on-time rent payment in the first week of September. So almost a third of renters in the US did not make a full on-time rent payment within the first week of September, which sounds pretty bad. Um, in, for, for context, in August, that number was 34%. In July, that number was 35%. And by the way, this data is from Apartment List. And I'll link to that here in the comments in case you guys wanna take a look at the raw data. Uh, send a little link there. So at least it's going down a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. Now, with that being said, by the end of the month, in over the last few months, most of these tenants had actually caught up and paid their rents in full. So August, last full month available here, by the end of August, only 10% of tenants had not paid their August rent in full. And of the tenants who still owe back rent, let, only half of them owe more than $1,000. Half, half of tenants wow. who are behind on rent owe less than $1,000, which is something that is manageable for most of them to, to catch up eventually. Unlike, Denny, what you and I were just talking about a minute ago, uh, you know, if tenants fall $5,000 behind in back rents, that's going right. to be a lot harder for them to catch up. But under $1,000 in back rent owed, that's a lot more manageable to catch up. It is. And this is very um, surprising, actually. It's nice to hear. I mean, it's not nice to hear that people are behind, but it's nice to hear that the numbers aren't as high as even I thought they were going to be. Yeah. And if we dive into these even deeper and compare 2020's rent collection figures to previous years, uh, it actually, the situation looks even I hate to use the word better, but less bad. <laughs> <laughs> so switching gears to a different data source here, looking at data from the National Multifamily Housing Council, NMHC. So they show that 94.5% of apartment renters had paid either their full or partial August rents by the end of August. Hmm. Now, one thing that's worth noting here, that does include partial rent payments, uh, you know, so take okay. that with a grain of salt. But that figure, 94.5% of renters, that is only 1.3 percentage points lower than in August 2019, a year earlier, pre-pandemic. So in August 2019, that figure was 95.8% of apartment tenants had paid either full or partial rent by the end of August. So 94.5% this, this August, 95.8% last August. So not a big difference, 1.3 percentage points difference. Um, you know, so it's two, yeah, two things worth pointing out about that data. One is that this is just on apartment renters, does not include single family renters. Uh, and again, this, okay. 
That number does include partial rent payments, which we're going to talk more about in a minute. Before we jump into that, um, the latest data from NMHC is that rents collected in the first week of September did drop a little bit after the CDC announced that eviction moratorium. So, you know, the CDC tells landlords that they can't evict, tells tenants that they will not be evicted. And the percent of tenants who paid their rent in the first week of the month did fall, um, fell by um, more than three percentage points. It fell to 76.4% of tenants who paid their rent in the first week of September compared to 79.3% of tenants who paid their rent in the first week of August. So, you know, as soon as that eviction moratorium was announced for the rest of the year, fewer tenants did pay their rent in full in the beginning of Does month. that include single family or is that still? No, that's, that's still apartment that's still, renters. Okay. Yeah, that's just apartment renters. So let's, let's talk about these partial rent payments for a second because this has been a theme throughout the pandemic. So half of tenants who are behind on rent have either negotiated or are in the process of negotiating a rent payment plan with their landlord. So that's 49%. Uh, that's compared to 18% of tenants who have been turned down for a payment plan with their landlord. And 33% of tenants who are behind on rents haven't even bothered contacting their landlord to try to work one out. So uh, that data, by the way, is from apartment list. So keep that in mind. And by the way, I will, uh, I'll also share a link here to the NMHC data. Uh, so you guys oh, okay. Check well. Yeah, so half of tenants who are behind on rent have negotiated a payment plan. 18% of, of tenants who, have, uh, who are behind on rent have been turned down. And the other third of tenants who are behind on rents haven't bothered contacting their landlord to try to work anything out. So, uh, yeah, that goes to show that a lot of landlords here are going out of their way to try to negotiate payment plans with their right. tenants, keep them in place. Now, what's interesting here to me is that data, and this data is a little tricky to come by because evictions have been restricted in most of the U.S. in most of 2020, but evictions in 2020 had actually lagged historic levels even when you isolate four areas where evictions are allowed or were allowed before the, the CDC moratorium. So Princeton did a study of 17 cities in the U.S. where evictions were allowed, evictions were continuing during the pandemic. And they found that of those 17 cities, 16 of them showed lower eviction rates wow. than the historic norms. Only one city was showing higher than normal eviction rates. And, um, and I'll, I'll pass a link to that study as well here in the, uh, in the notes. In the so uh, um, do you think that any of this has to do with some of the um, pandemic unemployment and that kind of thing that, yeah. No question. Yeah, no, I mean, so this is, this is really all about the benefits. So as part of the CARES Act, as you guys probably remember, uh, it extended unemployment benefits from typically 26 weeks. Uh, keep in mind, unemployment benefits are operated on the state level, uh, but most states offer unemployment benefits for half a year for 26 weeks. The CARES Act extended that by an extra 13 weeks, so 39 weeks. And it also, the CARES Act guaranteed on a nationwide level 
that even in states that have shorter unemployment benefit periods, uh, it guaranteed unemployed workers uh, benefits for a minimum of 39 weeks. So people are, are able to collect their unemployment benefits for longer. And then of course there was also that very controversial extra $600 a week um, benefit that was tacked on to the existing unemployment benefits, uh, right. you know, which was you know very, very much politically controversial. We won't get into that, no. but uh, <laughs> yeah, as, as long as, so, and, but this is really, this is why so many tenants uh, are still able to pay their rents, right? Is because of the, the extra benefits. Now they're expensive as all hell <laughs> for, for, for the public tax dollars, uh, but right. that has been able to keep the rents largely flowing to landlords in the pandemic. Now, you know how long the government, you know, both on the, the federal and on the state levels, will be able to to keep shelling out these benefits. <laughs> that's that's another story. How long they will keep shelling out these benefits? Another story. Will there be another stimulus check? You know, these are all you know <laughs> questions right. that are up in the air. And but, unfortunately, largely these evictions and future evictions are going to be kind of dependent upon that, um, which right. a lot of your um, stats show. Really? Right. Now, the good news is that no politician wants to be the one sitting there holding the bag saying, you know, we're in the middle of the pandemic saying, you know, we're cutting off benefits because that that hurts that politician right here and now. Whereas the the paying the bill for all of these these public benefits, that is a problem for future politicians. Right. I mean, that's that's a bill that's going to have to be paid a few years, a decade down the line from now. These politicians will be out of office by then, so they're just going to keep shelling out the money because, right? Because it doesn't it doesn't really hurt them to keep shelling out the money. Uh, it does hurt them to stop the benefits. So you know we're going to end up with a huge bill for all these benefits one day, but that day is not today. And I think we're going to keep seeing these benefits going until the financial and health public health crises have passed. So I actually, in summary here, I actually don't think we will see an eviction crisis. Largely because I think these benefits are going to keep flowing. So, but as you said, well, I'm I'm just thinking of what you're saying that when we have you know further down the line, those new politicians are going to have to deal with this, and eventually, we we can't but we also can't keep them going on forever and ever. So, is this going to catch up? Is this going to be a, maybe we're not seeing it as the big problem now, but is it a delayed reaction? Well, yeah, I mean, these benefits are definitely kicking the can down the road a little bit um, in hopes that the economy recovers and, and ideally that we have a vaccine uh, so that the economy can, can replace these jobs and uh, so we don't have to have all these people still on unemployment benefits. But like you said, Denny, that is a risk, you know, the, the pandemic and its recession could extend longer than the government's willingness or, or ability to keep paying out these benefits. And that is a risk for, for landlords, for tenants, for everybody. Right. So, uh, so on that note, let's talk about three quick ways that landlords can protect themselves against rent defaults with their tenants. So Denny, why don't you, you take this one away? Definitely. You, you have to screw your tenants so aggressively now it's not even um it's not even a you know choice you just got to do it and one of the things that 
we often overlook is how long somebody is working for a company because that's important right now. Um, you know, I, I was just looking at applications last night for a rental I'm running for somebody and, you know, I had like 10 applications for this apartment and all of them had decent credit, but some of them, you know, didn't have very long employment history. And I had to take that in. You, you have to take that into consideration now, you know, you want to, yeah. Um, and you definitely want to make sure there's somebody who pays their rent is serious about it because I see it in our group still and it, it cracks me up sometimes, but I'll see somebody list somebody's criteria there like anonymously and they'll say they had an eviction three years ago guess what they're going to have an eviction again or at least you're not going to take top priority definitely so yeah i know i i sound like a broken record with that but it's so important 100 percent. yeah screen your tenants so so aggressively right now I mean, you know, we, we we said that during normal times it's and it's it's true then it's doubly true now all right, Denny, what about rent default insurance? Is that an option to protect landlords? Absolutely. And I have to say, Brian, I was a bit skeptical on that when we first, you know, were talking about it and looking into it. But now it's a great um, protection in place. So why not? I mean, build it into your expenses. So you're you're still coming out ahead. And then if something happens, you're you're good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a few hundred bucks a year. And for that few hundred bucks, you can sleep at night knowing that if your tenants stop paying the rent, the insurance kicks in and starts paying it until you can get the tenant out and uh, and start collecting from a new tenant. So, And the, uh, bo- we- the bottom line is a lot. You know, we all sit here and think, oh, a landlord doesn't need the money. But we don't know, you know, landlord, as a landlord, you too might be facing, you know, a job loss or because of COVID uh, you- or whatnot. You always so, need the money. I mean, you know, right. these are these are financial investments that you know are designed to generate income. And if they're exactly. not generating income, then you've shelled out hundreds of thousands of dollars at a loss for no reason. Right. Absolutely. So, so we've included a link there to Steady, uh, which is it's the only rent default insurance company that is still operating right now that I'm aware of. So um, jump jump on that right now. <laughs> absolutely. And uh, what's the third and final way that landlords can protect themselves against rent defaults during this crisis? Well, it's reporting rents to credit bureaus, which is going to be coming soon to our our website, our app. Um, And that is, you know, for a tenant who wants to maintain their credit rating or even a tenant that starts out with not a great credit rating, but they're building it, it it definitely... um, gives them incentive um, and, and push to make sure that they're paying rent on time. Yeah. I mean, what I love about reporting rent payments to the credit bureaus is that it's both a carrot and a stick, right? So if, if the tenant uh, does what they're supposed to do, then they get rewarded with better credit. Right. If they don't do what they're supposed to do, if they don't pay the rent on time, then they get penalized for it. Right. So yeah, it's, it's a great way that tenants can reward good tenants and penalize bad tenants. Um, Absolutely. All right, Denny, any final thoughts before we wrap things up for today's episode? I think it's really important to not wait until um, you're in this predicament as a landlord. I would contact your state and see what kind of proof that you may need so that you're ready 
just in case. Um, yeah, that's it. And keep an eye on this stuff because it changes, like Ryan said, daily almost. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who would have thought that, you know, if you told me 20 years ago that the CDA is going to be, CDC. I mean, the CDC, <laughs> I'm sorry, is going to be deciding whether we can or not. Yeah, that's just unbelievable. Not even 20 years ago, one year ago. <laughs> True. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, thanks, you guys. Let us know what topics you want us to talk about next week and moving forward. You know, again, this is, this is about you guys, not us. So stay in touch. Reach out by email, through our website, through Facebook. Uh, you can reach us at Spark Rental anytime. And have a great week. Have a great week. Did you know we offer a free eight-video course on how to reach financial independence with real estate? It's super bingeable with each video around 10 minutes long, but packed with information. Visit sparkrental.com slash learn for instant access. And please don't forget to rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us, and we will catch you on the flip side.